Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa of the Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This week, I am joined by Lucy McGinty, an environmental studies student who also happens to be interning with me, the Art of Ecology, right now. Normally, I'm here talking about really large things, things we can see and experience up close and personal, yet there's so much more to the environment than just that. There are lots of microorganisms that play a huge role in the functioning of our world, and Lucy's here to shed some light on those little guys. So Lucy, can you introduce yourself, your background with environmental sciences at school, and what you kind of plan to do with your career? Sure thing. So hello everyone, my name is Lucy McGinty. I am currently 19 years old and I'm a student currently at Montgomery County Community College. I've actually been there for six whole semesters, which is a really long time. Um, I started out college when I was around 15 years old because I was homeschooled all my life and I figured it would just be a better idea for me personally to just head straight into college rather than stay homeschooled or switch to public school. I started out Monco by taking some random classes that I found interested at the time, but everything really changed once I took environmental microbiology and earth science classes. That's when I kind of knew what I wanted to major in, which is now currently environmental studies. But once I transfer schools, I plan on majoring in microbiology and minoring in environmental science, because one day I would like to become an environmental microbiologist. That sounds super cool, super uh, I mean, I took a microbio course in school and it was very fascinating and all those little tiny things that you can now see in front of you is just amazing. So what inspired you to kind of follow? I mean, you talked a little bit about you, you liked it at school, but mm-hmm. what about it did you like? Well, so... For one thing, I just absolutely love environmental science, but I really, really love the curriculum of microbiology so much more. It really captures my attention. It is just constantly amazing me how these tiny, tiny little things can have such amazing and also terrible effects in humans and our biosphere. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's like, it's terrible, but also it's so fascinating right. to me. And you know, also to this interest is more of a recent discovery of mine. I didn't really know what I wanted to go into for a really long time. Things were always kind of sort of like, meh, that's cool, or it just wouldn't really stick for all that long. Mm-hmm. But once I ter- took my first biology class, I knew that microbiology was the path I wanted to nice. take. And I, I didn't, and I still don't really want to go into the medical or pharmaceutical industry, though, because there's a lot of emphasis on microbiology there because of disease, understandably. Right. That's what's, you know, the most profitable with um, pharmaceuticals and medical industry and since microbes are the ones that really cause disease, that's why they're most important there. Um, but I know, though, that I'm extremely passionate about the environment, and I want to be able to contribute nice. to, the, to the environment in some way, and I want my future career to be in line with that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I can tell just as 
you know, you've been interning with me now for a couple of months and your passion for nature definitely comes across. Yes. So that's cool that you were able to find a blend of mm. the things that you thought were interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So as you continue on, uh, I have obviously an understanding of microorganisms, especially as you mentioned, uh, the medical fields. Mm. A lot of my background happens to be with vet med. So I learned a lot about animal pathogens and microbes yeah. found in the environment, mm -hmm. like when dogs drink water and okay, now you've got diseases, yeah. things like that. But as an environmental microbiologist, what are some things that that person would do? Yeah. So environmental biology is defined as the study of how microbes interact with each other in the environment. So my environmental microbiologists can do research in using microbes to clean up environmental contamination. You can study the effects of how microbes um, affect crop growth, how microorganisms just affect ecosystems in general. You can study microorganisms in the food chain, the, um, the spread of viruses and bacteria in the environment, and also to parasitic worms and fungi that can affect animals and plants. And those are also only a few examples of mm -hmm. kind of the paths that you can go into. Okay, so the microbiologist, that environmental person, would they be going out into the field and taking samples or what What would they do with that information? Yeah, so um, basically environmental microbiologists can be in the field, they can be in the lab, they can just be doing general research through other means. Um, there are a lot of different areas that you can go into. And also there are pharmaceutical industries that do have environmental microbiologists working oh, cool. for them. Okay. Lots of different avenues yes, to, absolutely. to take. So many different uh, possibilities. All right. So then going off of that, personally, I find that my favorite little microorganisms are the ones, and I talk about them in so many of my different plant ecology mm. programs, the ones that aid in plant nutrient uptake and yeah. communication between each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool that there are little, little guys down there that kind of act as like a Wi-Fi network between yeah. trees and plant species that allow them to communicate with one another. And it's so cool. So yeah. that's me personally. Mm. Do you have a favorite? Yes, I definitely do. Ooh, what is it? <laughs> so, um, first of all, soil bacteria are so awesome. They yeah. are so wonderful decomposers and are so important for plant growth and soil health. Who knows what plants would be doing right now if they were not for, if it wasn't yeah. for microorganisms. Like, we really Everything don't know. Would be yeah, it would be <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Um, by far my most favorite one, though, which is also soil bacteria, oh, cool. is a species known as Pseudomonas petita. So now to preface, this bacteria isn't always good because there have been certain strains of it that has caused disease in animals. But what yeah. Pseudomonas petita can do for the environment is really, really cool. So Pseudomonas petita is the most important bacteria for bioremediation. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, so bioremediation, basically, and I'll talk about this in a little bit as well, um, is using microorganisms to clean up contaminants. Um, so firstly, what is great about Pseudomonas petita is that it is able to break down the hydrocarbons that are in oil. So we can actually use this bacteria to help out with removing with oil, oil spills. spills. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, they are really great helpers for scientists. So there's an oil spill 
and mm-hmm. you can kind of inoculate. I'm assuming you'll talk about it. I'm getting excited about <laughs> it now. But they can like inoculate it with the pseudomonas. And- yeah. And um, they wow. uh, they found so many bacterias um, that actually like, basically they sensed the hydrocarbons mm-hmm. that were in this oil and they were actually able to go towards it. It's this thing called quorum sensing. Right. Um, so they're actually able to sense the stimu- stimuli. Right. Um, so they're able to go towards it and then start breaking this down. That's cool. Isn't that awesome? That is. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating. Nice. Yeah. Um, and one another, another thing that is really great is that it's able to handle environmental stressors really well. Um, so it's very hefty and scientists like that because it's really able, it's good to be experimented with. Um, right. And so it's like not, it's not too sensitive, um, right. which is another great thing. And another thing is that it's able to break down pollutants in soil. Another thing that um, Pseudomonas petita can do is that it can actually use styrofoam as an energy source and turn it into biodegradable oh, compounds. Oh, I've actually, I've heard like news articles yeah. and things of, there's bacteria mm. can eat styrofoam and it's yeah. these clickbaity sort of articles mm. so i've never clicked into yeah them. yeah fair enough <laughs> but that's so cool that yeah all right not clickbait cool. it's really it's really cool and um scientists are really starting to look more into this and do more research into this because it's it's really awesome because yeah. we always thought the plastics can't be biodegradable right but in reality these microorganisms can break them down um, and the way that they actually do this is because they have this special enzyme called petase, or maybe okay. PETase, um, because basically plastics are long polymers, which means that they have repeating chains of molecules. Right. But this bacterial enzyme is able to kind of chew up those molecules into smaller compounds, which makes it easier for this bacteria to digest it. Oh. Yeah. We'll feed them all the styrofoam. Yeah, exactly. And um, also, too, what's really interesting is that mealworms have these bacteria in them, um, Pseudomonas petita, they have it in their gut. Mm-hmm. Um, so mealworms are actually able to digest plastics, too, like styrofoam. Oh, and mealworms are are kind of prevalent. Yes. They're, they're in a lot of areas. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you know population numbers of Pseudomonas? Um, honestly, I really don't. That's okay. That was just my yeah. brain was like, mealworms, interesting. Yeah. But, all right. Yeah, it's really awesome. And they, the mealworms wouldn't actually be able to do that if it weren't for the Pseudomonas petita in their gut. <gasps> that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, so it goes through their digestive tract, and then it hits the Pseudomonas petita, and then they eat it all up, and then they Whoa. digest it, and then it comes out all biodegradable compounds. Huh. <laughs> Wait, that's so cool, because... A lot of um, a lot of bird feeders in this area contain mm. mealworms. Yeah. So I know mealworms are, you know, you can get them at pet stores. You can get mm. them at bird food stores. Some of them are live because people want to feed if they have a pet bird. Mm. They'll feed them the live mealworms or you can get them in the suet blocks, yeah. things like that. So it just, now for me, making connections of being like, okay, if we're mm. having this number of mealworms, then we have to have the gut flora as well. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, that's such a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. luckily too, with the um, with the mealworms, when they are digesting that styrofoam, it doesn't actually affect any kind of predator that they have. So the plastic no biological magnification. Yes, yes. So it doesn't it doesn't hurt the people or the animals that actually eat. Wow. These mealworms. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's so awesome. Um, 
so also, you know, scientists are just beginning only to discover the uses of Pseudomonas petita and other mm -hmm. related species. And they are also able to bioengineer different strains of these bacteria to be able to digest different non-biodegradable compounds, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah. So those are really the big reasons why I like Pseudomonas right. petita. They are really so fascinating. And yeah, scientists are only just beginning to look into the effects of these. Well, that, yeah, I, I don't know if I fully want to switch what my favorites are, but mm. now that was a really cool one. <laughs> right? Isn't that too. awesome? Yeah, oh, that I is. It's so cool. Yeah. I like the bioremediation efforts yes. that can be done with bacteria. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I want to go into um, oh, as okay. a career. That would, that's like also doing, you know, research more so on this podcast. I really think it's so awesome, bioremediation, right. biodegradation. And, you know, as like a society, we only look at um, what microorganisms can do that are harmful. Um, right. But I think there's really not too much on how much benefit they have. Oh, they have so much benefit. Exactly. More, more good than bad. Yeah. And that's really sure. what I want to go into because also with my microbiology class, it really is an emphasis on disease and disease causing microorganisms. Right. So once, you know, my professor brings up bioremediation, I get very excited. Of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. Nice. So Pseudomonas, that's, you know, that's one of them. And there's different strains of it, of course. But do we or scientists have any idea of how many different species are out there? Yeah. So actually, scientists have estimated that there are about a billion microbial species. Okay. Yeah. Lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> and they cool, say cool. that the majority of these microbes have not yet been discovered. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the ocean and how they say that only like, what, 96% right. of the ocean have been discovered yet. Okay. Um, so also to imagine how many microbial species live are in, in deep ocean yeah live in the deep, like deep ocean yeah. like that is insane um there's probably a lot <laughs> oh for sure yeah We've got so many that live in those deep vents yeah so if we haven't explored those areas because you know they're deep vents yeah exactly you gotta have a lot yeah um also an interesting but really scary fact okay <laughs> is that um there are many undiscovered microorganisms like bacteria and viruses buried in glaciers oh mm -hmm. yeah there's i see where you're going yeah with this. yeah okay um so there is this article published by the smithsonian about these scientists finding fifteen thousand year old viruses trapped in these tibetan glaciers and they're melting, aren't they? Yep. Mm -hmm. They found 33 different species and 28 of them were unknown to the scientific community. That's like something straight out of a sci-fi movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Really? Oh, it's I like basically the theme of Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, but instead of dinosaurs, it's like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, Um. that's a really, you know, it's a really good example of how many microbes are undiscovered and like what's going to happen when those glaciers right. melt when they are released into our atmosphere and released right. our, into our environment. And that's all a cause of exacerbated climate change. Yep. And, yeah, it's, wow. it's very scary. And that's another thing that we have to take into consideration as well, is that, yeah. you know, even though like climate change is just, just is going to destroy human health, like it has that other factor as well, um, that these diseases have been gone since before the ice age. 
Yeah, we have no immune tolerance for exactly something like that. Yeah. Oh boy. So for those interested, I will add that link to the link in the podcast description so you can find it and give yourself some nightmares if you'd like. (laughs) So we've got, we, you know, we mentioned soil bacteria. Mm. We also mentioned gut flora for a hot second there with the mealworms. Do we know what some basic types of bacteria or their, not just bacteria, but the fungi or viruses of just microorganisms, you know, what do they do and what are their basic functions? I know you can't list them all, Yeah, yeah. but the good ones, because we all know disease. Absolutely. Yeah. So the main kind of microorganisms we've been discussing are bacteria and viruses but there's so many different categories of them. There's mm-hmm. unicellular fungi like yeast and molds, um, which can also cause disease. Mm-hmm. There's protozoa, there's archaea, there's helminths, there's algae, and they all have such different characteristics and functions. Ones though like helminths, protozoa, and archaea though are less known than the others. Um, so I'll go over more yeah, a yeah, bit yeah. about them. Go for it. Yeah, so helminths are those parasitic worms that we see in disease um, for the most part. For example, like pinworm, roundworm, hookworm, and stuff like that. Okay. I I hate worms. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really don't <laughs> like them. And I doubt that's going to be my field of study. So okay. I don't really know all too much about them mm-hmm. because I like to stay away from worms yeah, as best as I can. Worms. Okay. Um, protozoa, though, are less gross, I think. Okay. Um, protozoans are basically, in simple terms, single-celled eukaryotes. And also, if you're not familiar with the term eukaryote, it's one of the three domains of life. Um, the other two are bacteria and archaea, and humans are eukaryotes, as well as plants and fungi. Um, so protozoans are really diverse and look really, really cool. I recommend looking up some of them if you haven't, because they are really awesome. They look like tiny little monsters. Um, (laughs) They're really cool. And they also play a really important role in the food web, as many of them prey on bacteria and fungi. And yeah, so that's really cool that they're kind of like the next level up from bacteria. Um, And then there's archaea. Um, Archaea look pretty similar to bacteria and aren't really studied all too much because they don't have any real implications in human health from at least what we know of. What we know yet. Exactly. Hey, maybe they eat styrofoam. Yeah, exactly. We have no idea yet um, because they're a recent discovery compared to other things. Um, They were once believed that they only inhabited extreme environments like deep ocean hydrothermal vents and like salty lakes, like the Great Salt Lake, right. um, and then hot springs in Yellowstone. Okay. Um, we now know though that they probably make up twenty percent of microbes in the ocean. Well, so they like salt. That's a good spot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, they are also found in lakes. They are found in wetlands, soil, and they can even be found in our own bodies. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So they were once believed that they only were in the most extreme environments, but upon further further studies they're like everywhere like they can be found in our air conditioner they can be found in our heaters it's it's very interesting all right yeah so we really have a lot more to study about them um in general though all of these categories and microorganisms all have many different functions and contribute differently to our biosphere that's awesome so i mean just what you said there's so many different questions that i have (laughs) 
for that. So I guess we'll start with one and then we can take little sure. tangents mm -hmm. off of that. So we're, we're looking at these beneficial microbes that are good for soil health. They're good for our bodies, things that are just kind of found in our heaters mm -hmm. and air conditioners that yeah. clearly we haven't cared about now yeah. for however many years. And then there's also, you know, the viruses that come mm. and attack us and the things that are harmful. But now my question is, is there like a blend of the two? And maybe there's mm. not. This is just, I don't know. And a question that yeah. I have of, are there any that can be really dangerous, but also play a vital role? Like if we think of with wildlife, we have the predators, mm -hmm. like sharks can be really dangerous, but they're a great, you know, yeah. piece of the ecosystem in the ocean that's extremely necessary. Mm -hmm. So are there any like bacteria or fungi or viruses that have that sort of role? Absolutely. Um, take the bacterium E. coli, for example. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we constantly hear about E. coli outbreaks, and at least for me, before I took a microbiology class, I thought that E. coli was not good for anything. You know, they just caused Food disease. poisoning. Exactly. Yeah. Food poisoning. We find them Ugh. on produce. Um, we found them in Chipotle. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but in reality, we actually have so much E. coli in our gut. Um, and what's really fascinating, too, is that there's more bacteria in our gut than there are stars in our galaxy. Yeah. That is gut crazy. Flora is so important. Yeah, seriously. Did not know that E. coli was, and yeah. it's supposed to be there. Yes, it is but supposed in, like, to be there. This amount, not in excess. Yes, or exactly. it's a different strain. Um, it's a different strain. Uh, okay. Um, so the strain that actually causes disease is E. coli um, 0157H7. I take your word for yes. it. Yes. <laughs> That's the one that um causes like dysentery. Okay. It gives us really bad diarrhea. Right. We don't like that one. Right. Um, but the actual good E. coli in our gut helps us break down and digest food. And there are animals like, um, especially cattle, uh -huh. um, cows, sheep, goats, they rely on the E. coli in their bacteria to digest food. Right. So if they did not have the, that E. coli, they would not be alive. Wow. So yeah. definitely, you know, we think of one way is obviously the first way we think yeah. of is very bad, but ultimately it's exactly. necessary. Yeah. It's not just good, but it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, exactly. And even, um, um you know, the E. coli in our uh, large intestine and our mm -hmm. small intestines, um, that is, you know, what causes UTIs. So oh, not okay. only the certain strains that are bad for us, the disease causing ones, the ones that are in our own flora, can go into your ure urethral tract right um and then they attach into your urethral tract and make it really inflamed right um because it's not meant to be in there um so in reality our own strains of e coli can also cause disease in us they are designed to be in the intestine exactly and, that is and it should stay there <laughs> okay yeah so then <laughs> along along that line um I, as I was kind of saying, the sharks are really important members mm. of the ecosystem. Now I'm thinking of the microorganisms as their own ecosystems. Yes. Is there kind of a, maybe not a, a food chain per se, but is there a kind of hierarchy or this bacteria feeds this bacteria, mm. which feeds this one here and yeah. there's its own cycle? 
Um, so honestly, I'm not really sure if there's a cycle in bacteria alone and microorganisms alone. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are definitely ones, like I said, with protozoans, they feed off of, um, uh, bacteria and fungi. So there's like, they're like the next level, um, in the food chain. Okay. But with, um, bacteria, there's not really a food chain in there. Um, but there's a lot of competition between different ones. Like some of them out compete each other. So what are they competing for then? Um, nutrients, resources, oh, okay. stuff like that. Um, and also just in different environments, some just aren't fit um, for okay. those environments. So a lot of them just outcompete each other. Interesting. So then going along with things that outcompete each other, I immediately think of invasive species versus native species or, you know, that kind of side of ecology. But there's this whole other world out there of these microorganisms. Is there such a thing as microbial conservation? Um, so honestly, I've never really heard of environmental microbial conservation, and there's really not much research into it. And it's upsetting because it's so obvious that these microbes are so important to keeping our biosphere maintained and balanced. And yet there's not really any concern for them and for their well-being. Um, Because, you know, when we think of bacteria, we only think of that nasty bacteria that makes us sick. Right. Um, When they're so outnumbered by the amazing bacteria that's all around us. And, you know, I really hope that in the coming years, there is more research going into the positive effects that microorgan- or microorganisms have on us in the environment and mm-hmm. not just the negatives, right. not just the disease-causing viruses and bacteria. And, you know, I hope, too, to be able to be one of those future researchers looking, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking into the positive things that microorganisms have to offer the world. Because, you know, scientists have made some really amazing discoveries about yeah. the benefits of microorganisms. Oh, that's that's great. I hope you do. <laughs> Thank um, you. Me, too. <laughs> because I think a lot of times with conservation, you have something called the charismatic megafauna. Mm-hmm which are your things like giraffes and elephants and polar bears. And they're these big things that are usually cute or Mm. really fun (laughs) or, you know, something that really grabs your attention and you want to protect it because it's so cute. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of obviously little things that aren't cute per se because we can't see them. And I think that they get a lot of, they either get a bad rap or people just don't know. Exactly. You about know, them. Yeah. And we don't really focus on them all too much because we can't see them. Yeah. The only times that we're going to see them in person is using a microscope. And even right. then with just a usual compound light microscope, we can only see the outline of them. Right. We can't actually see what's going on in there. We can't see the way that they move. Um, we can't actually see it up close, but with the megafauna, we're able to. Yeah. We're able to study them more easily just by looking at them. Yeah. And there are so many different factors when it comes to bacteria and microorganisms. So it's, you know, there's really not all too much emphasis on it. And a lot of people, you know, don't know what they can do because you can't really see them without a microscope or looking online and seeing a really close-up picture of them. Right. And I know for me, I don't know you coming from that homeschool background, Mm. but I think it was 
high school biology that we got to use a microscope mm-hmm. and do the whole like cheek cell swab, yeah yeah which was really cool yeah. but I didn't take a microbiology course mm-hmm. until midway through my college experience because that was the field that I was going into yeah my husband who was an environmental studies major didn't have to take a microbiology course so there's so many like unless that was your field of study how were people supposed to ever learn this or know this exactly yeah it's really not there's really not anything about it in our education just general education and also with my um my environmental studies major I wasn't it wasn't required for me to take it either I took it just because I found it really fascinating well good thing you did yes I'm I'm very happy that I did um because my professor majored my uh bio 101 professor Mm -hmm. majored in microbiology and talked about it a lot so I was very happy that I had her as a professor because I probably wouldn't have taken the class if it wasn't for her wow (laughs) teachers are such a yes absolutely (laughs) okay well all right so maybe there's not necessarily something that we readily know of or scientists have told us about microbial conservation but just now as someone who has taken a little more classes do you have any idea of if there was like one action that the average person so not the people who study microbiology, but just anyone yeah. could take to protect and conserve microbes mm. that, you know, like you said, help to reduce styrofoam yeah. plastics and mitigate climate change. And maybe we can't go to the deep sea vents mm. or, you know, geysers and Yellowstone, things like that. But just if there's stuff in our air conditioner and our heaters, like there's got to be good stuff around. Yeah. So what can people do to help make these good things survive? So one of the ways that I feel as though you can protect microbes the most is to just tell the world about how good microbes can be. You heard it. You got to tell everyone. Seriously, because before I learned about more in depth about microorganisms, I really didn't think that there was anything good about them. I... Once I took my first microbiology class, I learned how beneficial microorganisms are. You know, tell people about bioremediation. Right. Tell them about how bacteria can be used to make insulin. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because before they um they made uh, insulin from um, corpses, <laughs> from human corpses. Um, either that or they used it from pigs. Pigs, yeah. Um, but then they learned they were able to synthesize it from bacteria. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, tell people about that. Tell them how bacterium can eat plastic and clean up oil spills Mm -hmm. because there really isn't a thing, isn't such a thing about microbial conservation. Like, you know, you can't, there's not really many places to volunteer. Right. Um, you know, there's really, you can't, there's not really places to donate, it's not really just a thing at all. So, you know, spreading the word about how great they can be and how beneficial they are and how we need them to survive mm-hmm. as, you know, for humanity and also just for our ecosystems, tell everyone about that because yeah. that's the most important part. Yeah. And then, hey, maybe the people that you share it with inspires someone to become the next, exactly. the next microbiologist yeah. who discovers the next cool thing. Yeah. You never know. It, so you really never know. That's awesome. And that's an easy thing to do because 
if you've got any way of communicating, you don't even have to have a voice. You can type and share information. You can write, you can draw, you know, communication can be done in any sort of setting by anyone. Yes, absolutely. Any materials. You can do it anywhere. And I, I am sure that when you tell people that bacteria can digest plastics it's gonna it's gonna excite them yeah yeah because it's something that not many people know yeah absolutely so for what it's earth each person who can go out there and tell one friend Mm -hmm. that you know microbes can be amazing things and one like cool fact that you learned here you know and now that friend goes and tells another friend and you have this whole chain that kind of just takes off, you'll be making a huge impact, not just for our own health and well-being, but also for, you know, climate and climate change mitigation as well. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology and with Lucy McGinty. Lucy, before we officially wrap up here, do you have anything you'd like to plug or shout outs that you'd like to give? Yeah, so I have actually been reading this book called I Contain Multitudes by Ed Yong. It's a really great read so far, and Yong does a really good job to make it interesting for a general audience. Um, The majority of microbiology books are not meant for the general audience. It's scientific journals, stuff like that. So it's really cool that he was able to write such a science-based book meant for just regular people Mm -hmm. and to bring awareness to how important these microorganisms are. Cool. Awesome. So I will also put a link to that book on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or wherever anyone gets books from. I'll put a link to that in the description as well, because that sounds very interesting. Yes, it's, it's great so far. I really recommend it. Nice. All right. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along to explore more of the wonderful ecosystems and world that we are a part of. For What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, you can check out my blog, which Lucy has some articles on there as well, at www.theartofecology.com. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I will see you next time on For What It's Earth.